Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorcerer, for that was his name, that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teachings about the Lord. Thank you for reading our scripture. And again, that was from Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 12, and in the NIV version of the Bible. And we continue in our series out of Acts, um, the Spirit-Infused Multi-Ethnic Church. And this is a loving scripture series from Renew. And as I was uh, preparing and praying uh, for this sermon, um, the image that came up uh, for me um, in reflecting um, was the image that we're given in the, from the prophet Isaiah in the book of Isaiah 55, um, beginning in verse 10. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes from my mouth. I will not, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace the mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will, will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. God, thank you for your word, and thank you that your word will not go out and come back until it is accomplished it has accomplished your will. And that will is to bring your favor and your blessing and your joy um, to us, to the world. And so we stand before you and sit at your word 
Um, may I uh, only be uh, as an imperfect instrument and voice. Uh, may your Holy Spirit um, be moving in our hearts, moving in my lips, um, for, uh, to do, to accomplish uh, your word in our hearts, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, at the end of chapter 12, if you remember last week, the word of God, the word of God, remember Isaiah 55 I just read, the word of God continues to spread and flourish post-Herod. Herod dies, he's infested with worms and dies uh, because he uh, was arrogant and prideful and forgot to give credit um, to the Lord, instead leaned on his own power. And Barnabas and Saul, it says, finish their mission. And maybe you've, we've uh, forgotten what their mission was, but if you remember um, the end of chapter 11, that the church at Antioch uh, took on tithes and offerings um, and gifts, collected it in a church to be sent to Jerusalem in order to provide relief aid uh, for the church at Jerusalem um, during the famine. And so this was why uh, Barnabas and Saul were sent to Jerusalem in the first place. So they finished this mission of bringing all of the offerings, the gifts, the resources um, collected at Antioch to the church at Jerusalem. Um, and while in Jerusalem, they pick up um, John and Mark and add them to their team, and they're sent off again back to Antioch. And uh, again, the end of chapter 12, 12, 24, and 25 reads, But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking them with them John, also called Mark. And that, that image of the word of God, as we see in Isaiah 55, like the rain that pours down or the snow that comes down uh, and does not return without watering the earth, it's the same as the word of God here. The word of God is spreading and it's flourishing among um, the community of faith, among the Gentiles. In, in every area that it's spreading, um, people are receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ and it's flourishing. And um, so now when we hit uh, the top of chapter 13 and verse one, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up by Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And basically, there were a lot of gifted people at the church at Antioch. I mean, Paul and Barnabas had been here a year teaching and discipling and mentoring, and it was the church at Antioch, which was made mostly of Gentiles, was flourishing, and the Holy Spirit was gifting people and raising people up to be prophets and teachers. And there were many of them. They were flush with uh, those resources. Um, and Luke lists a few. But while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting um, and listening uh, for the word of God, the Holy Spirit said, and we got to stop right there, the Holy Spirit said, right? And we see this often in Acts, the Holy Spirit actually speaking and that kind of uh, made me kind of uh, do a double take because it's like I don't often think about, I, I, we talk about God speaking, the voice of God, or God through an angel speaking. Um, but we know that the Holy Spirit is one of the Trinity and is God. 
right? It's the Spirit of God moving among the church, moving on the earth. And it says that the Holy Spirit actually spoke, actually said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work uh, to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So we see here that after returning to the church at Antioch, um, there's many teachers, lots of leaders, lots of gifts. And after worshiping, fasting, and praying, the Holy Spirit speaks. And Barnabas and Saul are set apart. Remember that phrase, set apart. And the elders place their hands and they are sent off. Another key phrase, sent off. And let's stop here. Barnabas and Saul are set apart and sent off. But it's not just the select few who are called, who are sent, who are sent or who are set apart. Because we need to remember that everyone in the church is called, amen, into the Missio Dei or the mission of God. We notice here that the way, the people of the way, is beginning to be replaced by the phrase, the church, right? And the church um, in Greek, the Greek word that's used here in chapter 13 is ekklesia, which literally means called out. Ek meaning out. Ekklesia uh, is a form of kaleo, which means to call. So the word here for that's uh, interpreted or translated by the NIV as the church um, is ecclesia, and it literally means called out. And actually, the Jews used it along with many other words um, to describe synagogue. So, ecclesia is one of the words that the Jews used to describe a synagogue. And perhaps a more accurate translation for uh, this word would be assembly. Um, but the NIV here, as, long, uh, as well as NRSV and other translations, um, use the English word church in place of ecclesia, in translation of ecclesia. And perhaps this is an attempt uh, to maintain continuity between today's church, right? Us, att church attenders, we go to church. Uh, we are part of church. We go to Renew Church or we stream Renew Church. Um, to, to maintain continuity between today, us, church attenders, to the gathering of Jesus' followers in that day. But perhaps this is not helpful, not a helpful translation. Maybe the best way to look at ecclesia is actually as a movement springing up from the context of Judaism, which was now moving beyond traditional and established boundaries. Um, among the Gentiles to other geographies, uh, spreading outward, outward, um, this movement. But the source or the beginning point was the temple or the synagogues, was Judaism. Um, and the best kind of uh, analogy I can come up with is just think about the Black Lives, Ma Black Lives Matters. And there's often confusion in social media about what is Black Lives Matter or who is Black Lives Matter? Is Black Lives Matter an organization? There's definitely a website with an organization that has a set of beliefs called Black Lives Matter. But when we say hashtag Black Lives Matter, is it referring to that, that political organization or that organization with that set of specific beliefs? Or is Black Lives Matter more of a movement 
that means something about um, how we look at um, black lives in our country and, and the injustices in our, our society and our culture. So is it a movement or an organization? Or you've heard of the Boogaloo Boys maybe in the news, uh, which is a right-wing movement, or is it an organization? Is it a movement or is it an actual terrorist organization or is it a right-wing movement? Who knows? Or you've often heard of uh, leaders referred to uh, Antifa, which actually just means anti-fascist. Is that a movement or is it an actual organization now? And that's how we're supposed to look at, I think, Ecclesia. It's a good way to look at Ecclesia is it's the, the people of Jesus, the way it's a movement that's expanding and growing and being fruitful and flourishing um, in the word of God. But at the same time, there are distinct boundaries. There's something forming. There are cities, there are churches at Antioch, churches in Jerusalem that are community of faith that have that meet together, that gather together, that meet publicly uh, and whatnot. And so that, that kind of organic liquid growth of a movement of a way of disciples, but also uh, institutional and, and kind of taking shape as an organization, ecclesia. But anyways, I bring up ecclesia because we are all called out. That is the intention of the church and, and the meaning of to be called out is we're all like Saul and Barnabas sent. We're all set apart. We're all called. And here we see an example of Barnabas and Saul in discerning the, uh, and through fasting and praying, prayer and discerning the voice of God through the Holy Spirit, they are specifically called as missionaries, as apostles sent out from the Antioch called outness, right? The Antioch church. They're set apart and they're sent off. And, um, but universally, generally, I think the challenge for us today is, yes, our pastors are called, right? We have apostles or missionaries that are called and set apart and sent out. But as a church in general, we are all called. We are all set apart to be holy and different uh, uh, from everyone else in our world. And we're sent into the world. We're not, we're not sent into ourselves to hide or to just gather together by ourselves, but we're sent out. And I think uh, the example in Acts 13 here of Saul and Barnabas being sent out to Cyprus uh, will be an example for us of what it means to go out and be sent ones into the world, um, engage with the world, not hide or be separated from the world, but to engage uh, with the world and all it has to offer us. So that's point number one. And, uh, but we can be sure that as church attenders in its modern expressions, we need to be challenged by this notion of being called out. Amen. This notion of being called out, ecclesia connotes movement. When you read called out, ecclesia, it connotes outwardness, a set-apartness, a sentness, 
in summary, the church is both a gathering, we are to be both a gathering and a movement. Right? We need home base, but we also need to think about how we're called to move out, amen? And we're called to participate in God's mission activity um, and, and participate in God's mission actively. And that's what it means to be missional. Um, you may have heard that phrase um, going about. And as in this example here, we're called to both listen to the voice of the Spirit and proclaim the Word of God. Remember the Word of God that's like the rain and the snow that will go out and won't return unless until it's watered the earth and done, accomplished God's will. And so we see this in Acts. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of uh, suppression, in the midst of obstacles and hindrances, still the word of God is growing and flourishing and going out, amen? It won't be stopped. The word of God will go out and God is using people to go and spread his gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, so that those who need to hear, those who are hungering for new life and for transformation can receive and be watered and can flourish and have life and renewal and revival. And God wants to do this because God so loved the world. And that's what his word does ever since creation. When God said, let there be, there was. Let there be light, there was light. Let there be earth, there was earth. Let there be humanity, there was humanity. And when he says, it becomes, and his creative will is accomplished through his word. And whatever is accomplished through his word, is good news, amen? It's not fake news, it's good news. It's not fake news, it's good news. And in our day and times, in America right now, you can turn on the news and there's so much com competing and conflicting facts out there about what's going on, who's doing what, what's actually happening. And it's really hard to trust. Right? Our media outlets or even that article you read on Facebook or Twitter or the, the video you watch on YouTube, we don't know. We have some people who are saying, that's fake news. And some people are saying, that's a conspiracy. And some who, who say, no, that's the truth. This is what's happening. And so it's really hard to get on the same page in terms of what is real, what is truth. But... What I'm proclaiming today is that the word of God is true. The word of God will go out and accomplish new life and goodness. Amen. And so what are uh, Paul, or Saul and Barnabas and along with John, they take John Mark with them and they're sent out as the first missionaries sent out from the Antioch church to proclaim the word of God. And they go and proclaim the word of God on Cyprus in the Jewish synagogue. So what are the ways in which Saul, Barnabas, and John proclaim the word of God? They do it by going to the Jewish synagogues in Cyprus. This means that they were not simply huddled among Christians in private home churches, but they were in public engaging with Jews in the synagogue, right? Debating witnessing, arguing, 
preaching, proclaiming from the scriptures with other Jewish Jews in Jewish synagogues in Cyprus, which was uh, a Roman territory that was first colonized by the Greeks, right? Greek Cyprus, Jewish synagogues, Saul and Barnabas and John hanging out there, proclaiming the word of God, engaging with the culture, engaging uh, with what's going on. So they weren't just fishing in a calm Christian pond, but the scenario here is more like Deception Pass. If any of you have been to the great Deception Pass, one of the Pacific, the pride of the Pacific Northwest um, on a sightseeing trip, um, what makes Deception Pass so beautiful and so great is just the power of two different streams of water colliding and clashing, opposite forces of water clashing. It's not a calm pond, but it's, it's, it's two waters colliding. So in proclaiming the gospel and the word of God, Saul and Barnabas are entering a clash of cultural, political, religious waters, if you will. They're right in the middle of it. Jewish synagogues in Cyprus. What is Cyprus? Where is Cyprus? Cyprus was the Chittim um, that we read in the Old Testament. And for reference, you can go to Numbers 24-24 for Chittim. But it was colonized by the Greeks um, in early BC, um, who gave it the name of Cypros, uh, I think it's promounted, um, which comes from the Cyprus or the henna uh, tree, which grew on the island. Um, and in BC 477, 477, it fell under uh, the dominion of the Greeks. And in BC 58, it became a province, a Roman province. So it's a Roman colony, uh, but first dominated by the Greeks. And during these times, in ancient times, it was known for being a great uh, commercial island, commercial place. So they grew corn. Uh, they produce wine and oil um, and really nice wine and really nice oil. And right, the, their production was really high quality. Um, it was also rich in uh, timber, and lumber, and in minerals. Um, and um, we also know from Acts 4.36 that it, it's where Barnabas was from. It's the home island the home place of Barnabas. Um, so Barnabas was from Cyprus, um, and he and Barnabas was no doubt a part of, so Barnabas was probably part of uh, those people in the diaspora listed in Acts chapter 2 in the Pentecost that were visiting Jerusalem at the time of Pentecost. So Barnabas was a part of that great conversion in Acts 2 at Pentecost. And we also remember Barnabas uh, from Acts 4 as the counter to Ananias and Sapphira, right? Ananias and Sapphira lied about how much money they gained from selling their land. But right before that, Barnabas is the one who sells all that he has and gives it all and lays it at the uh, uh, disciples' feet, uh, apostles' feet. So we know that Barnabas was really generous and that he sold it all uh, on behalf of the way and on behalf of uh, the church. And so here he is as uh, a partner to Paul, a partner to Saul, 
and he's um, um, being sent here to his hometown to bring the gospel, his home island. Um, and now, yeah, like I said, he's being sent on this missionary journey with Paul to his own island home. Awesome. Like, imagine if you were from Hawaii, you went around, went around, went around, and then God said, go back to Hawaii. He'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'm back in Hawaii. And let's remember who is sending Saul and Barnabas. It's the church at Antioch. Doesn't that just blow your mind? It's the church at Antioch. The church way up there, right, on the fringes. Way up there where Gentiles are becoming Christians, where those uncircumcised Gentiles that are eating pork, right, are becoming Christians, and this church is exploding. And it's this church that is sending missionaries, this Gentile church. And how did this Gentile church come to being in Antioch, right? If you remember, it was the Hellenist Christians that were persecuted by Saul in Jerusalem, the original persecution by Saul when he was still a Pharisee. I think Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 7. And they scattered. It's the Greek Hellenist Christians who are scattered. And some went to Samaria, some went here, some went there. We don't hear all of the stories, but some went up to Antioch, right? And a church forms there. And this Gentile church is now the church that is sending resources to the Jerusalem's church and helping the Jerusalem church out because of the famine. And now it's laying hands on Barnabas and Saul and sending them to Cyprus, far off Cyprus, an island, to do mission work. Antioch the place where people were first called Christians becomes ascending church. They are living out ecclesia, called out. They're sending resources out. They're sending missionaries out. And God is blessing them with teachers and prophets. Woo! The Holy Spirit, right? The word of God went out. And how did it go out? It went out because people were scattered and being persecuted. Amen? Like, it went out because of oppression, because of darkness, because of hatefulness and sin, because of Saul, who was against the church. And in that chaos emerges Antioch. The word of God is like rain that pours down on the earth and will not return to God until it has watered all of the earth and flowers spring up and there's great joy in the land, right? The word of God in the midst of persecution, in the midst of scattering, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of tragedy is that scattering actually leads to the watering of the land and new life is blossoming. And the church of Antioch is one of those great blossoms, the new life that's giving life 
to other places. Amen? And that's a word for us that you may be in a hard place today and you may be struggling and you're like, what is going on? I feel empty-handed. I feel abandoned. I feel persecuted or scattered. I'm in a desert place, right? There's nothing. What has what become of my life? Where is the fruit? What's happening in this pandemic? People are losing their jobs. Eight million people have been added to poverty um, since March, May in our country. Like poverty is growing upon poverty and a lot of us are affected by that. And if you're affected by that, we pray for you. We pray together and you're not alone. And also God can bring new life out of the ground can blossom even the most desert deserted of places even out of concrete right flowers can grow out of stone if god wills it if god speaks it and this is what's happening this is the witness and the testimony here that antioch is a flower in the desert that god has grown up and it's flourishing amen amen Woo! That's awesome. This Gentile church is the accidental fruit of the scattering that happens during Saul's persecution in Jerusalem. How marvelous are God's ways. How great are God's ways. How mysteriously powerful is the movement of the Holy Spirit through the called out ones, right? And we, as the called out ones, ecclesia, as the church, are called to be a part of the mysterious power of the Holy Spirit, of God's power moving to bring water in the desert, new life in dead places to speak life into the lives of people around us, right? To point people towards new life away from death. That's what it means to be sent. That's what it means to be called out. That's what it means to be set apart and called. And that's what it means to be renewed. That's what we're all about, renewed by God for the renewal of our neighborhoods, renewed by God for the renewal of our neighbors, renewed by God for the renewal of people around us, our communities, our homes, our families. God wants to renew you. God's word can renew you. Will you receive that? Amen? Where am I in this passage? So Paul and Barnabas are sent out, and they're uh, engaging in the synagogues. They're engaging with culture. If they were here today, I'm sure it would, wouldn't be just the synagogues that they would go to. They'd be on social media. They'd be on TikTok. They'd be on Twitter, they'd be on Facebook, they'd be on every, they'd be streaming and doing blogs and podcasts in order to engage with the culture, in order to engage where people are at, proclaiming the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? They're going to be out there. And so we get to, they travel around Cyprus, and they finally get to Paphos, um, where they run into Sergius Paulus. And Sergius Paulus, it says, 
is a proconsul, which in the Roman Empire at those times, a proconsul was basically a title held by a civil governor and did not uh, a civil governor. So basically, he, Sergius Paulus was the governor of all of Cyprus, and Sergius Paulus had an attendant, had a servant whose name was Bar Jesus. It wasn't Field Jesus. It wasn't Home Jesus, but it was Bar Jesus. Just kidding. That was a dumb pastor's joke. Bar Jesus. You get it? He, he went to bars all the time, so he was called Bar Jesus. Anyways, Bar Jesus, and his other name he went by was Alimas, uh, which means the sorcerer. So he was involved, like Simon the Magician, uh, perhaps in, in, uh, in sorcery and kind of uh, dark powers, dark spiritual powers. And as Paul and Barnabas and uh, as Saul and Barnabas and John are presenting um, the gospel to Sergius Paulus, this governor, right? A, a Roman um, political person, appointed person, right? They're, they're, rubbing, they're rubbing shoulders, they're rubbing elbows with Roman political and civil elite. They're not just, you know, again, they're not just hanging out in the homes of Christians and huddled in secret, but they're going out there and they're going to people of influence and proclaiming the gospel. They're engaging with the culture and even the Roman culture. And the sorcerer here, Alimas, does not like it. He opposes Paul and Barnabas and tries to sway the proconsul away from the gospel. And so there's a confrontation uh, with Saul and Barnabas. But like Saul, during his, Saul's own conversion story, Alimas is struck with blindness. He's struck with blindness, and um, in verse 9 uh, of chapter 13, it says, Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Alimas and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. You are fake news. You are fake news, not good news. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. And immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about. Right? It's almost like reverse creation. At creation, right, the world was dark, and the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the darkness. Here, um, immediately a mist and darkness come over Alimas, and he gropes about in chaos and blindness, seeking someone to lead him by hand. And when the pro-council saw what happened, the confrontation of powers, right? We saw this in the earlier chapter, right? Herod, the king, conf confronted God, persecuted the church, was killed James, imprisoned Peter, and what? He falls to his death. And here we have a confrontation between the power of God, the Holy Spirit, and the sorcerer. And he struck blind, the sorcerer struck blind. And when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed. For he was amazed at the teaching, the word, 
about the Lord. He believed the power of God, church, is much more than the power and evil forces of the world. The power of God is greater than any sorcerer. The power of any sorcerer. The power of God is stronger than any of us. Any king, any throne, every pre any president, any emperor, anything that we hold on to stubbornly, right? Any of the lies that we tell ourselves or the world tells us about who we are or how the world is, God's power is greater, amen? None can stand against the power of God, not kings, not Herod, not false part, uh, prophets such as Bar Jesus here. Who is like our God? No one is like our God. Who is like our God? No one is like our God. Who can stand against him? No one can stand against him. So church, do not be overwhelmed by authorities and powers or the politics around you or your circumstances or the things that bring you down or the darkness that makes you depressed, the hopelessness and despair you may find yourself in or the confusion and the chaos and the blindness that we see and experience every day or the threat of sickness, illness, or even death, the threat of a pandemic. Do not fear God is moving and is working to bring good news and new life. Do not fear who is like our God, who can stand against our God. God who created the earth, the heavens, and everything in it. God created everything. Do not fear who can stand against God. Nothing. And God is moving. God is working. God is speaking. And we are the called out ones, God's church, the bride of Jesus Christ, called to proclaim the gospel over and against false narrative, false powers that oppose God. And the call for us is to be sent, to be, take courage and get out there and engage. Go to Cyprus. Go to the synagogues. Go to the political leaders, the people who have influence. Go, even if you're intimidated and afraid, and speak and witness and proclaim the good news of God. This is the first time that Saul, his Roman, his Greek name, his Roman name is being used, Greek, Greek name is being used, Paul. This is the first time because he's on Cyprus and he's dealing with Greek culture, he's dealing with the culture, the Gentile culture. He's dealing with the politics of the Roman Empire. And so his name is Paul here. And what that tells us is that God is using him because he has a feet, he has feet in two different worlds. He's using him not to run away from culture, but to engage the culture, the context in which he finds himself, amen? And we too are called to go into the culture, to be in the culture, not to be overwhelmed by it, influenced by it, or blinded by bar the bar Jesuses of the world, but to go in, engage, and proclaim the alternative to the lies of the world 
which is truth and the gospel, amen? The real news, the true news that will always stand against fake news and the fake news can't stand. It'll wither away uh, to the word of God. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is a light and a lamp at our feet and on our path. And as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so is your word that goes from your mouth. It will not return empty-handed. It will not return to you empty but your word will accomplish what you desire and achieve the purpose for which you sent it. Let us be an embodiment of your word, sent out, called out to go and be a part of your purposes in the world. And may we go out in joy and be led forth in peace. May the mountains and hills burst into song before you. May the bar Jesus's fall and crumple. May their words be fleeting uh, like fallen leaves on a windy day. And instead of the thorn bush, will you grow the juniper? And instead of weeds and thorns and briars, may the myrtle grow. And this will be for your glory for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.